Good morning. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? Some of y'all will get that on the way home. Can you hear me? Good? Okay. We're starting a series this morning, a three-part series. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at work, rest, and play, and how it all matters to God. How many of you remember Mars candy bars? They still make those? I don't know if they do or not. Remember their slogan? A Mars a day helps you work, rest, and play. They really hit the nail on the head with that one, right? The advertisers knew exactly what they were doing when they came up with that slogan because they know that all of us, all of our lives revolve around work, rest, and play. That's what our life is all about. Those three virtues define our life. Now, we would wish that rest and play would be predominant in our lives, but they're not. Unfortunately, for most of us, work dominates our lives. We might even like an equal split, but we don't even get that most of the time, do we? It's just a fact that work dominates or overshadows the other three. Do you like your work? Do you love your work? Do you enjoy your job? Some people feel imprisoned by their job. Some people feel like they're trapped in their work. Then there are those who love their work, maybe a little too much. They go to work, they're there all day, and when they come home, they bring their work home with them. Some people we would define as workaholics. These are people who work, who slave, who grind, so that they can climb the corporate ladder, so that they can make more money to rest and to play. Some people do it for notoriety. We have workaholics who, who work their fingers to the bone because they feel like they're accomplishing something. They're more productive if they're working. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, their family suffers, their marriage suffers, their spiritual life suffers. And at some point when our life is over, we have to explain to God why we pushed everything aside because we put work first. You think Jesus made some quality tables and chairs? What do you think? Do you think that Jesus looked at his life as a carpenter and said, this is what I am, rather than this is what I do? I mean, we often talk about Jesus as the Messiah, as we should, but you realize most of his life was spent as a carpenter. And I think Jesus probably understood that his work as a carpenter was a means to an end, Right? And that's where we have to come to in our job as well. We have to look at our work as a means to an end. Even the Son of Man was not above work. Even God worked. Psalm 8 and 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. Psalm 139 talks about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And of course... Psalm 104 and verse 24 states, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. We learn from the very beginning in the book of Genesis that God worked on six days, in six days. He created on the seventh day, he rested. So Jesus worked, God worked. And throughout the Bible, we find God's people hard at work. Whether it was building the temple or rebuilding the city walls, 
God's people were commissioned to work. So at least in one sense, work is a good thing. But some would say, hold on. Work is not a good thing. Work is a curse. And they go back to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17, which reads, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So work is a curse. It's not a good thing. In fact, it was never supposed to be this way, right? Well, I think to get a more, get a broader picture, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 15, it states, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Work is not a bad thing. From the very beginning, God commissioned man to work, to tend the garden that he placed him in. We were created to work. But, like with a lot of things in life, as sin enters into the world, something that is inherently good or was created for good became bad. We could rightly say that work intensified after the fall of man. That it became more laborious. It is more treacherous, perhaps. Because of sin, something designed to be good became difficult, and we observe that even today, don't we? Work can still be difficult. I know many of you have rewarding jobs. I'm one of those. I have a very fulfilling job. I enjoy getting up and coming to work every single day because I love what I do. But even that can be difficult because it can cause us to pull away from God. When we bow down to our job, or we bow down to the things that our job allows us to have. We work hard to earn a living. And with that money that we get, that paycheck that we get, we use it to buy stuff, to accumulate things, and we bow down to those things. So work can easily become difficult. It, become, it can become toxic to our spiritual lives. Someday we have to stand before God and to give an account for this life that we live. And surely we don't want to stand before Him knowing that the whole time we were here on earth, we bowed down to something other than him. If you look in Genesis chapter 11, you find God's people hard at work. Now, this is after the flood, and Noah and his descendants are told to scatter abroad, go fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. But what happens is the people have their own plans. They decide that they're going to cling together. They're going to disobey God. They're going to stay together, and they find a place on the plain of Shinar, and they settle. And there they decide to take up a godless endeavor. They're going to build this huge tower reaching high up into heaven. And the reason for doing so is so that they can be world-renowned. They're going to go down in history as great tower builders. Everyone for generations to come will be so impressed with their work. They're going to build this massive structure reaching high into heaven that people can see from far off. This is what things had come to. From the fall of man to the first murder to a worldwide flood and now to this tower building business. This is what it had come to. And united in a godless effort, these people set out on a mission 
to build something that they would be impressed with, that other people would be impressed with, but they never stopped to consider that maybe God wasn't impressed with all of this tower building. And so God realizing that the only thing they could do as a unit working together was sin, decided to step in and intervene. So he scatters them. He confuses their language. He thwarts their efforts because they had disobeyed. If you notice in Genesis chapter 11, these people considered that by building something great, they said, and let us make for ourselves a name. Isn't that what it's about so much in our job, in our career? Let me make a name for myself by climbing the corporate ladder, by getting that raise, by getting that notoriety, by being employee of the year, whatever it may be. And certainly, inherently, those are not bad things necessarily. But when our life becomes one endless pursuit of things related to our career, and it's not built on God, then that becomes a problem. Greatness comes from following God, not from doing our own thing. You see, when we live to work, then all of life revolves around work. And work becomes an idol, and we're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get to the top of the ladder. And then we, we, we carry out this mantra of, I am what I do. People say, well, uh, who are you? Well, I'm a teacher. Who are you? Well, I'm a police officer. Who are you? Well, I'm a fireman. No, you're not. No, you're not. That's not who you are. You're a Christian. Those are things that you do. But you see, when we live to work, our life becomes about our career, and that's not a good thing. When we work to live, we're merely doing a job to get things that we want. We're using our profession to support our lifestyle or our identity. When we work to live, we just work simply so we can get the things that come with the paycheck. We pursue the American dream and all the stuff that it provides. Both working to live and living to work are rooted in false identities that breed things like self-promotion and self-importance. In other words, we become the centerpiece. That was the fatal flaw of those folks in Shinar. The logic of Babel says, I'm going to make a great name for myself. I'm going to build this great structure here on earth. I'm going to leave a legacy. And in the end, it's just an empire of dirt, isn't it? We've got to be about something more, even in our jobs. The logic of Babel is built on self. We see that in Genesis chapter 11. Rebellious man undertook a united, godless endeavor to establish themselves as world-renowned, but in all their efforts, they left God out of the equation. And therefore, all their building was in vain. And the same is true with us. If our work leaves God out of the equation, then all of our laboring is in vain. There was a purpose to what the people were doing in Genesis chapter 11, and that purpose did not involve God. What if we looked at work differently? What if we saw work in a different light, from a different perspective? You see, our work matters to God, and God matters to our work. I want you to notice what Paul writes in Colossians 3, 22 and 24. He says, Slaves in all things... Obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Notice this, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. 
It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, I realize that this passage is in the context of a slave-master relationship, but I think there's some vital principles here for us as well. When it says to work heartily, that word in the Greek, heart, is cardia. You can imagine that, right? But in the Greek here, in Colossians 3, 23, or 22 through 24, the word heartily here is the word sukos, combined with the word ek, ek sukos. And it means from out of the heart and soul. In other words, if you're a Christian, if you're working, you work with all your heart and your soul. You pour your heart and your soul into it. You work as hard as you possibly can because you're not really working for man. You're working for the Lord. Whatever you do, you do it heartily because you're representing God. You're representing Christ. Don't just do the bare minimum. Do your best work. Work for the real master. He's the one that you should be making proud. Why does our work matter to God? You ever thought about that? Why does our work matter to God? Is it because he's OCD and he wants to make sure that that window that we clean is spotless? Is it because he gets some sort of pleasure out of seeing us lift that heavy box and place it on the shelf? I don't think that's what, God's, I don't think that what, that's what Paul is talking about here. I don't think that's what he's alluding to. No, I think our work and why God is affected by our work and why he cares about it is because what Paul has already stated in Colossians. If you go back to Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2, it sets up what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians talk about who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we as Christians are now. Who is Jesus? Look at chapter 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That's who Jesus is. What has Jesus done? We'll look at chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness, and He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Who is Jesus? He's our Savior. What has He done? He has saved us. And who are we now? Well, we are saints, Colossians 1.23. We are qualified to share in the inheritance. That's Colossians 1 and 12. We are reconciled as well as holy and blameless and beyond reproach, chapter 1, verse 22. We are alive and forgiven, verse 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. We are being renewed in the image of our Creator, Colossians 3 and 10. And we have been given a new identity and a new purpose. It's Colossians 2 and 6 as well as chapter 3 verses 1 and 17. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and who we are now in Christ should affect our work. It matters to God because of this. God should matter to our work as well. What if our work was all about who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are now? I mean, you think about it. Who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are now should not only affect our work, it should define our work. Our work matters to God, and he should matter to our work. You think about it this way. Why work so hard at a job? 
Is it to earn a paycheck? Is it so you can climb the corporate ladder? So you can gain notoriety? How about we work hard at our jobs so that we can be a light in a dark world? Some of you are in some very dark places in your job. What if we treated our job as a ministry? What if we looked at our job, our profession, as a way of sharing the gospel and affecting the lives of others? Why work hard at school? To get a degree? How about working hard at school to get that degree so that you can go out and change the world for Christ? How about you, you go to school and you get a degree for the, for the sole purpose of going out and saving souls? Whatever your chosen profession is, your whole reason for going to school and getting a degree and going and joining the workforce is so that you can affect the lives of others for Christ. Why raise children? Why have kids? So that, you can, so that you can have something to love? Of course, right? But have you ever thought about raising your children, having children and raising children so that they can be difference makers in the world around us? You know, we often, we often push our kids towards a career, and we talk about them being doctors and lawyers and all these different things because those make a lot of money, right? But do we consider as a viable option, raising kids, our young men, to be preachers? Do we consider raising our kids to be elders and leaders in the church? Do we make that a mission? Do we strive for that? Why work hard at your job? Why go get a degree at school? Why raise children? Why work in the church? Is it because you're obligated to and you feel a sense of duty? Or is it because this is a lifestyle? Church is not a part of my life. Church is my life. And so I do these things within the church because I want to change our community. I want to reach out to those that need the gospel. I want to do everything possible to magnify Jesus. You see, our life takes on a very different perspective when our work, our livelihood is gospel-shaped. When I understand that I'm working for the Lord, I can use my job and my skills to further His kingdom, not mine. I can look for ways to bless others because I know that I've been infinitely blessed. Even if I don't make a lot of money in my job, I'm just blessed to be able to do a job and to earn a living. I can be a better co-worker. I can be more gracious, more patient, more forgiving. I can have a busy day but not have a busy heart. I can rest assured that my job doesn't own me. I'm owned by Jesus, who's the real boss. You see, you're not what you do. When people ask you, you know, so, so what do you do? Well, I'm a teacher. No, you're not. That's what you do. And we've got some great teachers in this, in this congregation who do a great job at teaching. But that's not who you are. We've got some people here who are fantastic in their public service role. We've got people here who do a magnificent job in whatever it is, food service, being a cashier, whatever it is, they do a great job, but that's not who you are. Who you are is a child of God. And that should shape everything that you do. Everything you are is found in Christ. That's your identity. 
and it translates over into everything that we do in our job, in our lives. Christians should be the best employees, you know it? Christians should be the best employees. They should always be on time. They should be people whose yes means yes and their no means no. They should be people of integrity, people of character. Christians should lead the way in being honest and compassionate and forgiving. We should be humble and selfless in our service because we work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, as Paul says. Someone stated it like this. They said, if you're an accountant, you crunch those numbers as if Jesus is your client. If you're a waiter, you go the extra mile, not just because you want a tip, but because Jesus is your customer. If you're a car salesman, you act as if you're selling Jesus a car. If you're a construction manager, you act as if it's Jesus' house you're building. If you're a teacher, then Jesus is one of your students. If you're a sanitation worker, you pick up every last piece of trash because it's Jesus' street you're cleaning. God is your boss. You may have a great boss. You may have a boss you don't care anything about. Either way, you don't work for man. You work for the Lord, as Paul says. You know, as a preacher, I've, I've come to discover, and I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I've come to discover that God is the CEO. Of all of our lives, He should be the CEO. And what that means is, as the preacher, I don't work for the elders, I don't work for you. I work for God. But the great thing about it is, if I understand that, and I work heartily for the Lord, then the elders are going to be pleased with the job I do. They're never going to have to, to call me out for something. You will be happy, I hope, with the job I do. And I think the same applies to all of us. When we understand who the real boss is, who the real CEO is, when we work heartily as for the Lord, imagine the difference that we could make. Imagine the difference we could make in our jobs, but in the world around us as well, if all of our work was gospel-shaped. What if we looked at everything in life, including our work, as a ministry? What could we accomplish for the kingdom if we made our work about pleasing God? You know, Tom Rainer once did a survey when he was, when he was still preaching. And he asked some members of his congregation to just put down the minimum amount of time that they think he should average each week in different things related to ministry. And here's what they came up with. For prayer at church, 14 hours. Sermon preparation, 18 hours. Outreach and evangelism, 10 hours. Counseling, 10 hours. Hospital and home visits, 15 hours. Administrative functions, 18 hours. Community involvement, 5 hours. Church meetings, 5 hours. Worship services or preaching, 4 hours. And then other, they assign 10 hours. Now you think about that. That's a grand total of 114 hours per week. Rainer pointed out that, that, would, that he would have to work more than 16 hours a day for seven days a week in order to fulfill just the minimum expectations of his church members. I'm so glad that our church members don't put those kind of expectations upon me or that the elders don't demand that. As a preacher, I have to remember who I work for. 
as an employee, you have to remember who you work for, even if you're not an employee, even if you own your own business and the buck stops with you. You still work for somebody. We are all slave to a master. It's either Christ or it's the devil. Hopefully it's Christ, right? He is the CEO. He is the boss. And maybe you face some difficult circumstances in your job. I mean, maybe, maybe the boss is placing unrealistic expectations upon you. Maybe it's long hours and high stress. Or maybe you're in a job you love. You wouldn't change a thing. Either way, we need to remember who we work for and why we work. What if all of our work was gospel-shaped? What if we all engaged in gospel-shaped work? What if we made our work about making a difference? And I realize some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I don't know how to do that in my job. I think it's all about being Christ and being Christ-like. You'd be amazed at how much difference you might can make. As I've said before, you folks are able to reach people that I will never be able to reach. You see people in your job, whether people you work with or people you come in contact with, that I will never be able to reach, and you may be the only Bible they ever read. Consider that your job is a ministry, and consider how you can make a difference. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to be here today, to come and worship you, and we pray, God, as we leave here and we go throughout the rest of this day, that we can seek to serve you. And we pray as we go throughout the rest of this week until we come back again, that we can look at, at our lives as working for you. That we can look at our job as working heartily for the Lord. That we can remember who our real boss is and that we can seek to please you with our work. May we seek to be Christ-like in everything that we do. And it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I realize some of you sitting here this morning may be in need of prayer. Perhaps you're struggling. I know that we've lost a lot of folks in the last several months and even last couple of years. We've had a lot of deaths in this congregation. And this time of year with the holidays coming around, that's very difficult. Being alone, missing our loved ones. If you need prayer, support of this church family, let us know. Maybe you're someone who's contemplating a daily walk with Jesus and you'd like to study the Bible with someone, then we want to we do that with you as well. There's nothing more important than being right with God. And if you're not right with God this morning, then let us help you with that. Don't leave here without being right with God. And remember, as we always say, leave here this morning ready to change the world. Let God be involved in your work. God's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need that we can help you with, come now as we stand and as we sing. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds.